All right, it is Friday, October 16th, and uh, we have a recap of last night's town halls, both of them. The uh, Trump town hall on NBC, which ran about an hour, and the Biden town hall, uh, which I think they billed as, uh, you know, the vice president and the people or something along those lines, um, which were, uh, they were on dueling networks, so Biden was on ABC, Trump was on NBC. Uh, Trump's went an hour, Biden's went an hour and a half. And, um, and it was, uh, there were a lot more ads in, in Biden's, um, it was actually kind of odd that it only went an hour for the, uh, Trump town hall, but, um, I suppose, uh, you know, whatever. Um, so overall thoughts, uh, Savannah Guthrie, Savannah Guthrie of NBC News was the moderator or host, what, what do you call that in a town hall, for the um, the Trump town hall. And uh, right off the bat, the, the odd, there are a couple odd things about the presentation of this. Um, first of those is that this felt like you were watching in, you know, 1.5 speed. The entire thing felt very rapid fire. Um, Savannah Guthrie's questions were all immediate, um, and she would inter. I don't think she let Trump finish a single sentence this entire time. It was immediately, you know, jumping on either into the middle of a sentence he was already giving or on the last syllable. She was already changing the the subject matter um, to talk about something else. So she started with several questions that were very. I, I will say, as a fan of someone that that generally likes the press pushing hard, uh, it was it was nice to see. Um, but they were also cheap shots. They were cheap shots the entire time, um, and it really showed the contrast when you started to see some of the regular people that they had selected that aren't really regular people at all, um, but they had some of those people who would stand up and ask a question. Uh, the few highlights of the night um, were uh, were that you know there was a uh, black woman who was behind Trump in his uh, close-up shot, and just over his uh, right shoulder, as you're looking at the screen, she was in the in the top right of the screen. And the entire time, <laughs> uh, when when Trump would respond to something, um, or or you know, clarify some some uh, mischaracterization that Savannah Guthrie would make, this uh, this this black woman in the top right of the screen was just furiously nodding along, agreeing with the president, and it actually made for quite an interesting, I think, inadvertent um, message that that NBC did not intend to send, and and clearly worked against the moderator. Um, but it was kind of interesting to see that uh, real time response throughout the entire night. Um, because uh, this woman was very expressive and opinionated and uh, clearly very uh, supportive of what what the president was saying. Um, The other thing that was strange about the Trump debate, big picture, and then we'll talk about some of the answers and some of the the approach, uh, it sounded terrible. Um, I'm not sure what the issue was with this, but the entire thing sounded like it had been you know, recorded through a tin can. Um, it was all, uh, 
it had that effect, you know, as if you're on a, a video conference and there's a lot of noise in the background and it really drowns out the voices a lot. And uh, to the point where it actually seemed like the, the ambient noise was getting louder and quieter when people were talking. So there was some kind of automatic processing of some kind that, uh, that was happening. Um, it appeared to only be on Trump and the moderator's mic um, when they were talking. But it really made the, I mean, look, Trump's responding to every question, so it made it really difficult. The interesting thing was when they went to the handheld microphones and the people who were asking questions, uh, that was a point where the audio sounded, you know, perfect. It sounded exactly like it's supposed to sound. And uh, that was the interesting thing to me in how, um, how it was presented. Uh, there were some theories floating around <laughs> that uh, that was um, done for some reason on purpose. I don't know that I necessarily buy that. I mean, I you could argue that there was something there to kind of throw him, throw Trump off his game. But uh, if if that was the strategy, it, it didn't work uh, very well at all. Um, all through the night, Savannah Guthrie was pressing him very hard. Um, on different issues, a lot of those being uh, issues that are highly contested uh, in the first place. And uh, Trump had answers for everything. He, uh, he gave answers for everything. I mean, uh, he, the approach that I would like to see Trump do more often, and, and I think it's a winning strategy because the depravity of the corporate press, which is the enemy of the people, is so on display in these types of events, and especially in any one-on-one with Donald Trump, you end up with a, you know, something that's supposed to, you know, basically be a discussion, um, but it's not. It's Trump saying something and then immediately being interrupted and told that he's a damn liar. Not just a liar, but a damn liar. And then Trump saying, well, no, that's not the case at all, and here's why, and let me tell you, this is how it works, and immediately just that process repeating over and over and over again. So, um, you know, I think the strategy by the corporate press, and look, to some extent it's worked, I think, because we haven't seen the same, you know, uppercut swings from Trump this, uh, this election cycle. Um, we're still kind of waiting for some of those. I mean, there, there are clearly moments that stand out, but I, I would say they're not really in the debates as much, um, and, and they're not to the level that they were before. Uh, they're not to the level that they were in 2016. Um, but in today's, uh, uh, in, in this week's town halls, there was, I think, a lot of interest in in how look the the first debate i think most people came across thinking that trump won that but it it, it wasn't that close i mean obviously the partisan people are going to make their claim but it seemed to be the case that most moderates found that trump had an edge there um however it it was true that the uh trump could have performed much better this was his first uh, you know, public, national, televised event since his COVID diagnosis and since he beat it. And there was very little discussion of that. Um, there were a lot of talking points about different things, including Trump's taxes 
And why doesn't he, you know, release those and settle everything? And who does he owe four hundred thousand dollars, four hundred, sorry, four hundred million dollars to? Um, he made the case that this is not how this works, and uh, and you know that's a tiny fraction of his overall net wealth. And uh, and if they, you know, it's perfectly normal for someone of that net wealth to have debt in different things. Just like if you check in with any random person on the planet right now, they probably have, you know, a couple hundred bucks on a credit card that's that's unpaid. It, you know, it doesn't mean that uh, it's never going to get paid. It means that uh, on a regular basis, there's a small amount of debt that we are, are uh, that we allow to carry in our lives. And it's very difficult, actually, to get that down to zero and to live, you know, a, a life where you are uh, purely paying for everything. I mean, definitely you can't have a credit card that way. Um, so anyway, the, the whole idea that he owes $400 million and, you know, that is uh, the suggestion being that he owes it to Russia. <laughs> um because, because you know how how are we ever going to? Uh, it's it's ridiculous. The corporate press is the enemy of the people. Um. So that that uh, the the Trump event went for uh, about an hour. Um, had quite a few commercial breaks throughout. The audio was terrible throughout, and Savannah Guthrie I think came across as the main villain of the night. Um. I do like, and I think that a lot of the the left uh, is coming away saying, you know, they they will approve of her, um, of the way she handled the questions and the way she pushed, and uh, and and I will say I don't, I generally do like to see that 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 approach. You know, I'm not a big fan of of uh, of asking a general question and then letting a politician spin it any which way. Um, however, in Savannah's case, she was asking one question, getting half an answer, and then immediately spinning that into the next question, and how can you say this because, you know, hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. Um, she asked about the Amy Coney Barrett hearings and said, and brought up the whole issue of, you know, is this hypocrisy, and, you know, you had mentioned, uh, uh, four years ago that uh, you didn't think Obama should fill the seat, and now you're filling the seat. And, you know, Trump brought up this issue of, um, and I think this is, I'm highlighting here how Savannah, I think, is a poor journalist. I think this is an example where she could have demonstrated that she was actually being a good journalist instead of trying to do her impression of a good journalist. She should have followed up on uh, Trump's answer because he didn't fully answer the question of why he thought Obama should hold off on nominating a Supreme Court justice in 2016, which, of course, Obama did not. Obama still, Obama still selected, um, uh, made very clear that Merrick Garland was the guy. That's how we know it was Merrick Garland. Um, but, uh, but the question was asked, how could you have said that then, that Obama should hold off, and now believe that you should fill this seat. And Trump didn't directly answer that question. And instead of following up, Savannah uh, immediately jumped into um, into other other issues. And, you know, Trump said that this is uh, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg 
uh, had even remarked that you're president for four years, not for three years, and uh, you should be able to fill those seats. Um, and, you know, that's a fine political answer, but it didn't answer the question. So I would have liked to see uh, Trump hit a little bit harder. Again, Trump should have come into this knowing that Savannah was going to be the host here and should have said, well, Savannah, like, he needed to have the personal moment. He needed to be able to say, Savannah, you interviewed Nick Sandman last year, and you told him that it was aggressive of him to be standing in place when someone else approached him and banged a drum in his face and suggested that he was a racist, a child, a minor. You had an interview with him in which you did this on national television. How can you live with yourself? And now you come out and you ask me these questions that are unfair, that are intended to try to paint me as a villain in every possible way. That's what Trump should have done. He didn't do it. I think he needs to come more prepared. It needs to be, uh, if they're going to take cheap shots, personal shots at him, he really, really needs to come in and be able to play with the media the way that, it, it can't just be, oh, you guys, the media, you're bad. We get that. We need them dismantled. We need them dismantled. Every little bit of respect that they have left needs to disappear because they haven't earned it. They don't deserve it. This is not the journalists of, you know, 50 years ago even. These are people that have grown up with the impression that what you do as a journalist is fight Republicans, fight conservatives. You tell them they're racist. That's what journalism is. No, it's not. No, it's not. Journalism is, journalism is nothing but a vehicle to understand what people are trying to say. What people are saying, what people are trying to say. You're not supposed to be the story. You're supposed to report the story. Journalists don't, don't remember this at all. They think they are the story. They think it's about them. They think it's their show. That's why they look for these theatrics. Now, by contrast, George Stephanopoulos was the moderator or host of the Joe Biden town hall that was happening um, on a rival network. And uh, he, uh, for most of the night, gave a real softball question. There was one exchange that I'll talk about um, that I think was very interesting regarding packing the court. And he came in, um, you know, there was a, a question asked by someone in the audience Joe Biden did not answer it. Um, you know, he kind of gave his, well, if I answer about whether I would pack the court or not, then uh, then the story in the media is going to be about what my answer to that was and not about Trump. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, you're running for president. We need to know what you plan to do, especially when it's something that's considered undermining the entire judicial branch. Uh it, we need to know. So he gave that kind of half-assed Joe Biden answer that he's given several times before and never been pushed on it. And to George Stephanopoulos' credit, now this is how you know I'm being honest with you. <laughs> George Stephanopoulos, I give him props for going here because it would have been very easy. We know who he's for here. If it's Trump or Biden, it's very clear you know, who George Stephanopoulos is voting for. He's a for former Clinton staffer. He's voting Democrat, no matter what. So it doesn't help. And in fact, I think the only question that he's probably 
Uh, the only reason he's probably even following up on a question like this that will he knows the answer is not going to be good for Joe Biden, the only reason he follows up is because the polls say Joe Biden has a you know million-point lead right now. And if you have a million-point lead, then I guess you can afford to push a little bit harder on some of these questions that have been clear dodges by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris both. So George Stephanopoulos says, um, he says, with all due respect, you didn't really answer the question about whether you would want to pack the court and whether you would plan to pack the court. And Joe Biden kind of reiterated his point and, uh, and said, you know, it, it needs to be, uh, we need to see what Trump is going to do and if he's going to do it the right way. And then, you know, we'll see. And George Stephanopoulos said, so you're, you're, uh, you're saying that you might, might be open to packing the court. And uh, Joe Biden said, well, we have to see how Trump does it because then we'd have, so he, he, uh, I mean, it was one of those things where it was a non-answer, but the non-answer gave us the answer that we needed. And the answer is that's absolutely on the table. Um, that's absolutely on the table, and it's something that Joe Biden will do. And if Amy Coney Barrett is uh, confirmed by the Senate, which it looks like that is going to happen, um, yesterday that passed the Judicial Committee, so it's moving into some fact-finding, and then it'll go to the, the final Senate. I think it's on pace for her to be confirmed either the day before Halloween or, the, uh, or on Halloween itself, the last day of October. So um, that's going to happen. It's definitely on track. And Joe Biden's essentially saying if that happens, as it looks like it will, then yes, I'm open to court packing. <laughs> so uh, there's your answer. Uh, he is willing to cheat. Um, I, I shouldn't say cheat. Look, the whole issue with court packing, it's perfectly legal to pack the court. It's highly frowned upon. The reason it's highly frowned upon is because everyone is supposed to agree on one thing, and that is we have a essentially this idea of a peaceful transition of power. You know, when the game is over, we all shake hands and say good game and uh, you know, whoever won this time gets to uh, gets to claim themselves as the winner for a while and run things for a while. And then the next game, you know, we fight real hard. And then you know, again after the game, we uh, line up and shake hands and say good game. So that's kind of the way this is supposed to work. Uh, the Supreme Court is the same way when it comes to nominating. There's no law that says it has to be limited to a certain number of Supreme Court justices. Um, it's typically and kind of traditionally in the last uh, 50, 60 years, it's been s around nine. There's usually been nine justices. It's, you, it's almost always been an odd number for obvious reasons. You know, if you have a decision, some number of people needs to be for it and needs to be against it. And uh, that, that extra person um, allows the Supreme Court to actually decide uh, if it ended up in a uh, tie, if it was a 4-4 tie, then the decision of the, the lower court actually stands. So it makes sense for the Supreme Court to want to have the ultimate authority, the ultimate say on an issue. 
So that's why it makes sense typically for the Supreme Court to have an odd number so they can actually decide on something in and of themselves. They still have the right to push it down to a, a lower court's decision, but um, but that's that's the reason why an odd number has always been good. Now, nine justices is not set anywhere in the law. So you could blow that up to a thousand. You can have a thousand justices involved here. Um, the reason that typically is not done, uh, it is... Um, it leads to the impression, I guess is the right word, that the judicial branch is highly polarized. And that is because you then have people campaigning on the idea of changing the Supreme Court. I'm going to go change the Supreme Court and put a bunch of my people in there so that they decide on things you know, in a way that I want them to decide on them. That is typically the issue and the reason that both sides have agreed to not pack the court. I mean, look, FDR did this. It was highly frowned upon. It was considered an embarrassment for decades um, because it completely destroyed the legitimacy of the Supreme Court to have so many justices there who were hacks, uh, political partisan hacks installed there by FDR, who who had I forget how many years, twelve years as president, quite a while um, before they enacted the term limits, uh, two terms for a president that we have now. So this was uh, a lesson that I think the country learned and said we don't want to do that again. And for the most part, all politicians said, "You're right, that is not something we want to get back into." Um, that led to a lot of trouble and a lot of people claiming that we were illegitimate. So now you have Republicans that are lar- – I think there are similarities here, which is why the Democrats are willing to go even lower than the Republicans. Uh, you know, in recent years, this is a much newer tradition. But the, the tradition was that, you know, you would not nominate a Supreme Court justice in the year leading up to an election. Um, that's a very new rule. It was called the Biden rule in uh, 19, when, 1994, I think, maybe, it was the first time this uh, this happened. So it wasn't 50 years ago. This is, uh, although it is 20-something years ago. But that is where this rule basically came from. And it's not a rule. It's more of a tradition. It's more of a tradition that, uh, you know, hey, all of us here in the Senate, we're going to all agree not to pass something like this um, un- until, you know, we have a new Senate group in here that can all be part of this. It's a little bit like, you know, a lot of the people in the Senate are going to be voted out. So in the final months of something like that, it, it, you can see how it might be in poor taste for all of the old people that are leaving to say, you know, even though I'm gone in a couple months. I'm going to install someone who's on the Supreme Court for life. You know, you, you can see how the rule would be. Ultimately, whatever it is, that rule needs to be agreed upon. It needs to be something that everyone says, okay, we're going to do our politicking, but at the end of the day, we agree on the rules here. And instead, you have the Democrats that come in and obliterate things like the filibuster um, and, and change the voting rules for confirming people to uh, to office 
and you know Senator Harry Reid of Nevada, Democrat, years ago, saying, "I don't really care that this is going to be used by Republicans because it works for us right now." <laughs> it's like, okay, but remember this. You just changed the rules. Now Republicans can do this too. And we're kind of in that area now where the rules have made this totally, perfectly legal and acceptable, um, a little frowned upon, to nominate a Supreme Court justice this late in a an election year. But also, um, there's not really a rule about how many Supreme Court justices you can nominate and, and have on the court. So the idea is... If, and I, I th- we're getting very quickly to a very polarized election, and more so than I think most people realize. If Donald Trump wins uh, re-election but loses the Senate and, and loses the House, then you have uh, a majority in both that could very easily try to impeach him again and actually – have a chance at getting him removed. If you have, um, and you know, again, they need a an, a slight advantage, but um, you know, it's not unfeasible that they could win the Senate or the House um, to get some of those gears moving again, and then we go through the same cycle that we had within the last twelve months, uh, within the last ten months, when all of this impeachment stuff started at the beginning of uh, the end of twenty nineteen, beginning of twenty twenty. And again, shouldn't that be something that we're, we're talking about a little bit more? It's not even mentioned now. And uh, I think it's a failure of Republicans because this was a huge, humiliating embarrassment for Democrats. And, uh, and they lost on this. They took a shot at the king and they missed. And, um, and, you know, as a figure of speech, I don't believe Trump is a king. Um, but that is, the, uh, that is basically what happened. And now... Um, you have a, a situation where Democrats are going to come in um, to a House and a Senate and want to impeach Trump for every little thing again. I mean, they're not gonna—they're not gonna play any nicer if they lose to Trump again. They're gonna say that this is something that was hacked and Trump rigged things and voter intimidation, and you know they're gonna claim that the outcome of the election, if Trump wins, is illegitimate, or if he wins enough electoral votes but loses the popular vote, then they're going to argue that the electoral vote is outdated and unnecessary, um, and we need to change that immediately. Um, the only way you won't have the left freaking out and trying to change the rules and, and basically change the rules of a system that they have, have lost is, uh, is if they win, if they are given the power. So you have... A, a group that is really wanting to go nuclear with their approach. It's our way or we're going to blow it all up. And that is the thing that makes this, um, I mean, it's been happening since 2016. I, I just saw the documentary that came out, um, The Plot Against the President. It's a documentary that was directed by uh, a uh, filmmaker. It's John Milius's daughter who he's a screenwriter was a screenwriter in Hollywood a known conservative guy his daughter directed this documentary um, it's pretty revealing I, I will not say that it's groundbreaking um, but it very uh, coherently puts together the case 
for how all of this uh, deep state activity began and what it's led up to. It is, uh, you know, beginning with Obama basically authorizing spying on the Trump campaign. And, uh, and in, in late uh, uh, 2016, mid-2016, and how all of that moved forward into, you know, the former Trump uh, nominees and appointees, I should say, who were working in his offices, basically trying to hide and cover up from the people coming into office. So is that a peaceful transition of power? Uh, you'll recall when um, the Clintons left office, they trashed and gutted the White House uh, at when George W. Bush was coming in. So now this does not happen the other way around. You do not have conservatives that will trash the White I mean, who knows? Maybe Trump could do it. I don't think he would, but, um, but it is interesting. And in the debate tonight, he was asked once again, will you agree to a peaceful transition of power? And uh, you, you, know, you have refused to agree. And he, you know, he shook his head and said, that's not true. And, uh, and he said, well, look, yes, of course. I'll, yeah, of course I, I would agree to a peaceful transition of power. Yes, I will. However, we need an election that's going to be fair. That's you know not going to be filled with all kinds of fraud that we can't trust, so, which is not the answer that the corporate press, which is the enemy of the people, Savannah Guthrie, want. They want an answer that says, uh, "Of course, I will um, abide by the results of the election, whatever they are." Uh, that empowers the early reporting of a lot of news networks and allows them to basically decide who's going to be the next president. And you can have Trump come out and uh, agree to agree that he lost the election. You don't have to deal with all of the mail-in ballots um, to the same extent that you might uh, otherwise. You won't have to do the recount stuff. Make it a lot easier for Biden to just take over, or Kamala Harris, depending on who's still around at that point, because Biden looked pretty terrible in the town halls tonight. That'll pretty much wrap it up. That's our uh, our recap. There's a lot more going on. Oh, you know what I failed to mention? I failed to mention the same thing that George Stephanopoulos failed to mention with Joe Biden. The number one story, Twitter uh, totally, and, and Facebook totally killing the Hunter Biden story. Uh, they continued to ban links today to the New York Post. Uh, again, one of the biggest publications. They are banning URLs. You cannot post them. I tried to post one. You can't post one. Um, and uh, it'll pop up an alert and says that this is harmful, this link is harmful, and uh, you can't post it. So, um, but there were more uh, more information that came out about, I mean, we're going to keep getting information trickling out for a while because, again, they have a whole hard drive that was Hunter Biden's and a lot of his email correspondence. And uh, this is a big story. A lot of people are talking about it. And you see even on Twitter, people are talking about the kind of secondary responses to this. It's people saying, you know, Rudy Giuliani, who was involved, the person that uh, computer store owner gave this hard drive to Rudy Giuliani after the FBI got it in uh, what turns out to be 2019. He's had this for, they've had this for a year and FBI didn't do anything. And uh, now Rudy Giuliani 
sees this and says uh, and and actually does something about this. So you have you know Rudy Giuliani trending on Twitter as a result of this scandal. But of course, nothing related to the scandal itself or mentioning the scandal itself is trending on Twitter because it's been banned. So not good. But George Stephanopoulos, would he ask a question about that? No, not for the whole hour and a half. Uh, And in fact, if you went to CNN at any point yesterday, you would see, despite this being a huge trending issue and being banned by Twitter... You see, strangely enough, there's no mention of Hunter Biden anywhere on the CNN landing page. Go to CNN.com. If you scroll through the entire page, you will not see anything about Hunter Biden. You barely see anything about Biden. Really astonishing how they are making things that are trending disappear. I think there is a very high chance that we will see now some major pushes to regulate. Again, I don't think that's a great solution to this, but boy, has social media asked for it. George Stephanopoulos, again, does not even ask a question about this, even though Trump's been talking about it. The president of the United States is out there tweeting about this multiple times a day, and George Stephanopoulos doesn't even bother to ask. These people are the enemy of the people. We will see whatever craziness happens over this weekend and into the next week. It's not going to slow up, (laughs) so plenty to talk about next week. Thanks for listening. Uh, Share all of this with a a friend who may appreciate it. Please do share this, anything you found entertaining. It helps us quite a bit. Rate and review as well. That's always a, a great thing that helps with the algorithms that are very much against us as we talk about. So we'll see you next time.